Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hello, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this week's Impact Ministries Cyber Church. We're going to be talking today about light that reveals love. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is the life and he is the light. Now, there's many characteristics about the light. You know, the light conveys information more effectively than anything else. That's what fiber optics is all about. And our cells, the light in our cells is really how communication happens best in our inner body. I mean, we function from the power of life transmitted by light. But keep in mind also that the light reveals things to us and causes us to see things as they are. So the information that God is trying to bring to us through the light and the effect that he wants to bring is his love. I'll be right back and I'm going to share some things with you that's going to make you fall deeper in love with God. I've got a free message for this month called Angels of Light, Authors of Deception. I want to tell you something. We have talked about and we think that we know about angels of light. I'm going to show you something that's going to open your eyes to the true deception in this world. All right, let's just dive right into this. Now, I know that I'm repeating this a lot because there are new people that tune into the broadcast every week, but... When I repeat something over and over again, it's because it is so significant to you that you need to hear it and hear it and hear it. I have people sometimes that will read my books, or listen to some of my messages for 10 years, and finally I'll get an email from them that says, you know, I got it. I know you've been saying this all this time, but I finally got it. And the one thing that we have to keep going back to is that Jesus, the light, he is the life, that life is the light because what he brings opens up, gives revelation on the true character and the nature of God. So Jesus revealed to us who God was, God's true character, God's true nature, God's true intentions. You know, so many people, they get saved, read the Gospels a couple times and really just think it's a Okay, it's kind of a storybook about Jesus' life. And yeah, he said some cool sayings in the parables. Then pretty much either get stuck in the Old Testament or jump ahead and get stuck in the epistles and really don't have any true sense about how to factor Jesus into their beliefs. Other than the fact that he died for us. Other than the fact that he was raised from the dead. And which that's great that you got that much. But I want you to understand something. All truth has to be tested by one thing. You know, the Bible tells us to test all things. And the way we test truth is whether or not it is consistent with what Jesus revealed to us about God through his death, burial, and resurrection, through his teaching, through the way he treated people, through the way he talked to people. He was the Logos, the Word of God made flesh. And more than anything else, what Jesus corrected was the false, legalistic, Luciferian idea that God was angry, 
that God was wrathful, that you really couldn't trust God. If you messed up, God would get you. God would hurt you. And there's still people that believe that today. And you can't have faith if you believe God's going to hurt you because you can't trust somebody that you're afraid of. And so Jesus obliterated that myth by revealing that God, more than anything else, is love. And remember, Jesus is the only one who has ever seen God personally. Jesus is the only one who is God, knows God. Jesus is the Logos. He is the wisdom. He is every attribute of God manifest in the flesh, manifest personally, manifest in this world. And love is the primary revelation that Jesus brought about God. And you see this when the epistles were written, especially, you see this where they're always explaining to people how to apply the commandments from the perspective of love because they're basing it on what Jesus taught. You know, 1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. Now, God has some other attributes. You know, God can have vengeance. God can have all kinds of things. But every other attribute that God could express that seems like a negative thing, it always comes from the motive of love. Because everything that God did and everything that God does is to give life, to sustain life, and to protect life. And as we've talked about several times, science itself reveals the preemptive, proactive, self-initiating love of God. Romans 1.20 tells us about this. And we've referenced this, how that through creation, we can understand things about God. And one of the primary things we have to understand about creation is this. Life was programmed in the creation because when the light came, it carried with it the life of God. And another interesting fact, you know, a lot of the New Agers and a lot of people who don't know anything about God, you know, make a reference to universal intelligence. And, and you know, most Christians just kind of poo-poo them and, and make fun of them and ridicule them and, you know, no, that's of the devil. And their beliefs may be. But the truth is, Proverbs chapter 8 explains that wisdom was with God in the beginning. That wisdom was actually programmed into everything in the universe. So there is an, a universal intelligence, but that universal intelligence is the wisdom of God. And the life and all of the wisdom of God was programmed into creation, not because somebody prayed for it, not because somebody needed it, not because somebody was sick, but because God intended for all of this to be available to us every day, every day of our lives. And in any situation, we should be able to, to say, okay, God has given me this. You know, some of what He's given us is in the natural world. Some of what He's given us is, of course, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There's the, what I call the spiritual and the supernatural. And then there's just the natural. But every bit of it is programmed for good. Every bit of it is programmed for us to have the very best life possible. So Jesus comes, and man, you know, the Pharisees would try to trick him up. You know, you all know the stories. You know, they entrapped a woman in adultery and drug her in there just to see if they could get him to violate God's commandments. Well, he showed them how to deal with the situation like that from the perspective of love. You know, he basically said, you know, whoever is without guilt, let him cast the first stone. Well, nobody could because everybody was with guilt. And then to the woman, he didn't just say, hey, it's all right. You know, adultery doesn't bother me. He said, go and sin 
no more. You don't want to have this pain in your life. You don't want to go through this hurt over and over again. He showed us what love looks like. He showed us what real ministry looks like. When he did things like this, they were baffled. Sometimes they just walked away. Like in that case, they just threw the rocks on the ground and walked away. Sometimes they were baffled. But boy, sometimes when he would manifest God's true nature, sometimes they would get argumentative and, and try to kill him and fuss and fight with him. But Jesus said something really interesting to him. He said, look, if you had known the Father, you would know me. As a matter of fact, he says in John 8, 42, he said, if God were really your father, you would love me because I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. This goes back to the fact that darkness cannot take hold of and comprehend and bring to itself the light because it doesn't have the life. People who are in darkness, people, people who are committed to their own ways, people whose security is, is in their doctrine, they are not willing to release that because they don't have security in God. You know, I'll never forget years ago, you know, I used to have street ministry for about three, three and a half years. Most of my ministry was out on the street. This was back when hippies prowled the street and head shops were open, you know, till four or five o'clock in the morning. They didn't even open up until 10 o'clock at night. And so, man, you know, there were hippies out sitting on the street. And so, man, I, you know, I'd been one of them and I'd get saved. So, man, I'd go and prowl the places where they all hung out and, and I would share Jesus with them. And every now and then I'd run across somebody that's just beating people over the head with some doctrine. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, even had people say it to me. I was, because I kept my natural look, if you will. Uh, most people didn't even realize I was a Christian, you know, if they saw me on the streets. And I didn't want them to be able to just identify me as a Christian. I wanted to be able to approach them with nothing that caused barriers in between us. So people sometimes would witness to me. And it was really interesting. I remember one time this guy's witness to me, and I'd seen this done a bunch of times. I'd never had it done to me. And so he, you know, he comes up and he says, are you born again? I just let him talk for a little while. And I just want to see how he would present the gospel, which, bless his heart, he did a horrible job of presenting the gospel. He probably drove more people away from God than ever drew to God. Then I said, look, you know, the truth is I am a believer. I'm called to ministry. I'm involved in ministry. And he says, well, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Now, I'm not here to debate the doctrine of once saved, always saved, but it's very interesting to watch people who have a pet doctrine, once saved, always saved, or, you know, save lost, save lost, or what they believe about grace, or what they believe about anything, and want to fight you about that doctrine. And if you challenge that doctrine, they lose their stuff. You know why? Because their security is in the information. Their security is connected to what they know. It's not connected to the life of God. Don't go away. I'll be right back, and you want to hear it. My new series, Trifecta, Life, Light, and Love, it's going to give you the tools to guard your heart. You know, Jesus warned that the greatest thing that we were going to be facing in this era that we're living in is deception. Well, I want to tell you something. If you have the light, you can't be drawn into the darkness. And not only is this going to help you have the life, it's going to show you how to connect to the life so that the quality of life that you experience is not based on anything that's going on around you. 
All right. We've talked about some ways that Jesus manifested the love of God to people that were in sin. And remember, he never told them their sin was all right. He never passed it over and said, oh, you know, don't worry about it. God loves you. No, God loves you. He said, but get out of sin. And you know why I always told people to get out of sin? For the same reason that Paul always told people to get out of sin. Because three different times in the book of Romans, Paul tells Christians that sin will still kill them. It's not God killing them. It's not God punishing them. It is just a sowing and reaping. And so God always showed love. And, you know, we should always show love. Even if people don't get out of sin, we should be able to love them. We should have value for them. We should treat them as somebody who is precious and special to God and hope that they connect to God. But you know something? Beyond his personal lifestyle, Jesus also taught us to understand that love was the core value of God. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, 43, we have something that's just so phenomenal and reveals so much about the nature of God and the ministry of Jesus. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I want you to understand something. He did not say it is written. And what Jesus is getting ready to do is he's getting ready to reveal their cultural deceptions. Now keep in mind, Jesus said over in Mark, I think it was Mark 7, he says, through your tradition or through your culture, you make the word of God of no effect. Now the culture that he was referring to was the culture that came up with their own interpretations of God's word and imposed those on other people. Let me tell you something. We have to get our own personal revelation of God but we don't get that independent of the Scriptures. And the real truth is, people who get a personal revelation and try to impose that on other people, they're controllers, they're legalists. Even if what they're trying to impose on you is their concept of love or grace or mercy or something like that. Anytime somebody is trying to force their belief on you, no matter how nice that belief is, it is control. But Jesus is pointing out, see, you've got all these things that you've woven into your beliefs that are not based on the truth and are really not based on what they could have seen about how to understand God. You know, they could have seen that God was love and looking at the Old Testament. They could have seen that love was the core factor, but they didn't because they brought their own religious ideas, their own prejudices, their own angers, their own biases into their understanding of the gospel. So he says, now you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. He said, but I say, so he is going to compare now what he says his interpretation of God's Word is to their interpretation. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Man, alive. And, you know, it's interesting that whenever he has this conversation or this, this sermon, he actually precedes this by saying, you know, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about where you go after you die. He's talking about this place where righteousness, peace, and joy rules in your heart. You can't be a legalist and have righteousness, peace, and joy in your life. You can't be a compromiser and have righteousness, peace, and joy in your heart. You just absolutely can't do it. But the main thing that Jesus is saying here is I'm going to show you the difference between how religion defines righteousness and how I define righteousness based on 
what I know because I am God. I was with God. I have seen God. I am the word. I am the life. I am the light. And it's amazing that we don't even consider Jesus and his teaching and how we interpret the word many times. So I think I've said this to you before, but all of Matthew chapter 5, all of Matthew chapter 6, and I think all of Matthew chapter 7 are examples where Jesus compares the righteousness as described by the Pharisees with the righteousness that he reveals. Now, in Matthew 5, 48, he says something that, boy, if you interpret it wrong, it'll scare the daylights out of you. And I remember as a new believer, I was already a wreck by saying my righteousness has got to exceed the Pharisees. I thought, man, those guys obeyed every rule. They covered every base. How in the world can I ever do more than that? Well, number one, my righteousness is in Jesus. But my righteousness in Jesus is not just positional righteousness. It's not just because I am in Him and that's the end of it. Because one of the things we understand in the language, when you look at the mood, tense, and voice of how righteousness is used, you realize that this is not a one-time experience. This is something that begins at a certain point of believing, but it is continued in your heart, in your beliefs, and continued in your behavior. And if you have righteousness in your heart, it will express itself through your behavior, but it won't express itself through the legalism that most people expect. It won't express itself by doing everything perfect according to the law. It will express itself through expressing God's love to people based on all the commandments. Matthew 5, 48 says this, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your heavenly Father was perfect. Man alive. You read something like that and you think, I got to be perfect. But remember, the word perfect is a word that points to bringing something to fruition, bringing something to fulfillment, bringing something to manifestation. And, you know, I skipped over 545. I'm going to go back and read it now and help you understand that he's talking about the perfection of God's love. Matthew 545, he says, to do these things that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He's not talking about earning sonship. He's talking about people who express sonship. Now listen to this. And this is what he says about our Father. If we want to be sons of God and be like our Father in heaven, then this is what we got to understand. It says, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, when it rains in Huntsville, Alabama, I don't know what it does in your state, but when it rains in Huntsville, Alabama, it doesn't just rain on the gardens of the people that go to church. It rains on everybody's gardens. When the sun shines, it doesn't just shine on the people who have a great prayer life and serve God effectively. It shines on everybody. See, nature itself reveals God's love. Now, keep in mind, that does not mean that people are exempt from their own choices and decisions. It just means that God is always proactively, preemptively, sovereignly expressing love. So what do we do? What's the dividing line? What's the logic that shows us how to always, always end up at this place where we are manifesting the true nature and character of God to the world? Now keep in mind, when we manifest the true nature and character of God, then the world will want what we've got. They'll believe that we're legitimate. They'll believe that we really know Jesus. They'll really believe that we are really disciples, and they will want what we've got because our lives will work 
when love is the primary factor. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. somebody came to Jesus and asked him what the most important commandment was. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, this was in the Old Testament. The Jews could have known this. They didn't like this commandment. And they didn't like the next commandment. Now, keep in mind, if Jesus had just stayed right there, if he had just stopped right there, well, man alive, we could turn that into anything. We could say, okay, I love God with all my heart, soul, my mind, so I'm going to kill everybody that don't love God. We could be Christian jihadists if we didn't have the next verse. Because the next verse really qualifies, expands, and explains what it's going to look like when we really do love God. Because if we love and value God, then we are going to love what God loves. If we love and value God, we're going to hate what God hates. God hates evil. God hates sin. You know why? Because it hurts people. Because it destroys people's life. Because it breaks people's heart. Because it, it brings people to ruin emotionally, financially, spiritually, relationally. And, you know, thinking that the love of God is calling evil good and good evil, that, that is just absolutely as corrupt as it can get. But he goes on to say in verse 39, he said, The second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 40, this is where Jesus ties a bow around everything that God has ever said. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Man. In other words, this is the number one and the number two most important thing. So this means everything I'm studying about, everything I'm reading in the Bible should be moving me toward being more capable and willing to love God, not less capable of loving God, not afraid of God, but it should also make me where I can love people more, and it should help me where I love and value myself the same way that God loves and values me. Every sermon that we preach, every sermon that we hear, every book that we read, the one thing that we have got to walk away with, and the one question we've got to ask ourselves about what we're reading and who we're listening to is, does this make me fall more deeply in love with God, more deeply in love with people, and does it make me more capable of loving or valuing myself in the same way that God loves and values me. And if it doesn't, you walk away from it. And it may not be that person. It may not be that book. It may be the way you are interpreting it. At some point in your life, you got to make up your mind. Because remember, a crooked heart can't find good, which means a crooked heart can't find the love in, in everything. You've got to make up your mind that you are going to give yourself to a life of truth and love, truth in that you're never going to abandon the Word of God. You're never going to abandon Jesus' interpretation, modeling, example of the Word of God. You're never going to abandon that. And that everything you do is going to be in a way that expresses value for people, that holds them in high esteem, that shows that they're important. You're going to build dignity and worth in people. I'll tell you what's going to change everything. I'll be right back with the mentoring moment. Don't go away. Man, I want you to have this new series called Trifecta because I'm telling you it's going to show you how to connect to the life of God. And that's what's missing. We have information, but we need the life of God. We need supernatural power, supernatural transformation. Be sure and get it. 
You know, Jesus didn't leave planet Earth and tell us to go make converts. He left planet Earth and told us to go make disciples. How do you make disciples? You teach them how to apply everything that Jesus taught us about the Word of God. I want to encourage you in something. If you feel called to the ministry or you even want to just develop yourself very deeply, check out Impact International School of Ministry. It's an online program where you can grow and develop yourself and you can go out and fulfill your call and fill your dream. But I also want you to know that all over the world in third world countries, we are starting Bible schools specifically to answer Jesus' call for the Great Commission. We call it Operation One Billion, where Bible schools are training thousands and thousands of leaders, and those leaders in other countries will go out and reach people and teach them what they're learning there, and we're going to reach a billion people for Jesus. You know, Jesus was speaking in John 13, 34, and He said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, this word new, most people try to translate that into a different commandment. No, it just means it is fresh. It is recently made fresh. It's something that has been unused in the past. And so it's something that's unprecedented. So he's not saying that I'm telling you something different. He says, I'm going to make this fresh to you. My teaching will make this thing about loving each other fresh to you. You know, the apostle John in 1 John 2, 7 said it a different way. He said, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning And the old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. I want you to understand something. We can only gauge where we are in light and darkness by just a very few things. It can't be subjective. We can't just say, okay, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. So, you know what? You may just be listening to your imagination. You may be listening to your crooked heart. And the question is, does what you hear in your heart line up with what the Word of God says? I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, you know, God showed me how to solve this problem. And they'll tell me what they're going to do. And I'll say, you know what? That's not based on Scripture. And, well, you go, you're a legalist. No, but I'm saying because it's not based on Scripture, you're not going to be solving this and treating that other person in love and in respect. And if you want to bring life to this situation, you've always got to bring love. And when you can't hear it in your own heart, look for it in the Scripture, and God will always lead you to love. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.